Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. Uh, Tell the person next to you where you feel most at home. Abby, you're going to have to turn around. Where do you feel most at home? For those of you maybe who've moved around a lot, um, there's, there's not necessarily one specific place that feels naturally that that is home for you. Uh, maybe it's a, a chair that you have at home. You love to sink in after a long, busy day. There's just that, that seat at the house, and you sit, and you feel rested, you feel at peace, and you just are home. Maybe home is being around the people that you love the most. Maybe home is not necessarily about a geographic location, but it's about the people that mean the most to you. Maybe home is the, the house that you grew up in. Maybe it's a place that was filled with, with memories and formative experiences and family affection. Maybe home is found in the eyes of a loved one. Maybe home is now just a memory of something that was some time ago. Maybe home is a deep, deep longing. And I think the truth is the longing for home is a powerful one within the human heart. I think it's right at the core and at the center of what it means to be human. That, that desire to feel accepted, that longing to belong is right at the center of who we are. And uh, Augustine of Hippo, who many of you know, is my favorite North African theologian. Uh, he famously said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And one of the greatest stories that Jesus ever told was the story of the prodigal son, a young son who rejects and abandons his home and his father. He takes his inheritance. He goes off looking for life on his own terms. He leaves his family and everything that is familiar looking for what he believes is true life, true meaning, true home. And it isn't until he hits rock bottom that he realizes what it is that he's left behind. And then he has that moment, that longing to return, even, even in a different way. He knows he can't return and everything be like it was, but his desire is to go back home. And it's here he finds that home in the gracious love and extravagant forgiveness of his father. And I think the reason that story hits so hard for so many of us is we all long for that feeling, that acceptance, that belonging, that home. And we find ourselves this morning in our exploration through John's gospel in John chapter 14. Um, And this is a passage, these next couple of chapters, often called the the farewell discourse. Is that Jesus is moments away from from betrayal, from from, from execution. All this is about to happen. And and these are Jesus' final moments with his disciples. These are the last opportunity that Jesus has to instill within them that hope and that security and that confidence about what is to come. At the end of John 13, Jesus has has given a new commandment to his disciples. He said, this is the new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. And then between that, he begins to tell them that he's going away and they can't follow. He says, you won't see me again. Uh, He rebukes Peter. He says, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you go. He says, you're going to deny me three times. And so all of a sudden, understandably, panic fills this room And they don't know what is going on. And whilst Jesus is preparing for what is about to come, and despite the anguish and the agony that is before him, he focuses now on strengthening his disciples. 
Like, like the expert leader he is, his attention goes to building the resolve and the resilience of his friends for what they are about to endure. And Jesus offers them what they desperately need and what we earnestly long for, that is true comfort and true home. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, John 14, I'm going to read the first, uh, we'll, we'll do 14 verses. We'll take it at a, a, a bit more in as we, once we get the context and the grounding of it. But Jesus starts with this, and I want, I want you to hear this. This is, this is not an option Jesus gives to his disciples. This is not a preference. This is an instruction, and we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, you can almost sense the, the, the frustration, the longing in his voice. Don't you know me, Philip? After I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus instructs that. How many, of, how many of us, and I don't want you to raise your hand on this because you'll have a group of people swarming around you to pray for you and give you ministry. Maybe that's what we need. How many of you are troubled this morning? How many of us just, just feeling the weight of something? Some of you think, actually, I'd quite like a group of people just to swarm around me and just go, it's okay, it'll be all right, let me pray for you. Others can't think of anything worse than that. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And we think, well, Jesus is not as easy as that. There's a lot that is troubling me right now. I've said it before, if it was was as easy as that, I'd get up on a Sunday morning and say, don't let your heart be troubled. Let's get the worship band back up and we'll carry on. It's not, we know it's not as simple as that. But the truth is, if this is an instruction, then it must be possible. And I was to reflect this morning just on four things that I think if we engage with seriously, They bring that comfort to our troubled hearts, that rest to troubled souls. And the first thing Jesus says is this. He says, believe in me. Jesus' disciples have been following Jesus for probably about three and a half years or so at this point. Now imagine that. Imagine spending three and a half years with Jesus, following him around everywhere he went, seeing the amazing things that he did, hearing the incredible things that he said. 
being with him every moment of the day. And through it all, being amazed and confused at all the, 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 the phenomenal things that happen. And now he's saying, put your trust in me, in all that you have seen me say and do and claim. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says here, just as you put your trust in God, believe that I am the, re- the revelation of the Father in your midst. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the question I want to challenge you first with this is, is are you willing to put your trust in him? There's this wonderful quote that I found. There's a book that I love. If you've got a book recommendation for this morning, uh, James Smith's On the Road with St. Augustine. Uh, he says this. He says, the question isn't whether you're going to believe, but who. It's not merely about what to believe, but who you entrust yourself to. Do we really think our humanity is, the be- is our best bet? Do we really think that we are the answer to our problems? We who've generated all of them. The problem with everything from enlightened scientism to mushy, eat, pray, love-ism is us. If anything looks irrational, it's the notion that we are our own best hope. Jesus offers us a better option. Jesus says, believe in me. And we've got to stop and think, what does, what does Jesus reveal about himself? And by extension then, if, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. What does Jesus show us about God that should bring us comfort and, and comfort for our troubled hearts? And I just love the context in which he's sharing this. We've already mentioned this. He's about to go to the cross. That, that Jesus is hours away from betrayal and arrest, a night of, of, of torture and torment and ready for the cross, the excruciating agony of the cross the next day. And it's not just the, the, the mere physical anguish that he's, uh, that he's expecting and preparing for, but it is the full spiritual weight of sin and spiritual death. And in that moment, what does he do? He doesn't say, guys, I could do with five minutes to be left alone. I could do with a long bath and some, some calming music. I just want to get my head into the, into the zone. Jesus, in that moment, his heart and his desire is to strengthen his disciples. That in the midst of, of the, the worst possible thing that you could experience, Jesus' mind and attention is, is how can he comfort the confused and chaotic friends around him? As Abby shared last Sunday, that, that, that Jesus enters the room, their teacher, their rabbi, their leader, the Christ, the Son of God, God himself in their midst, enters the room and washes their feet. He takes the position that, that a servant, that the lowest person in that room would have taken, and he washes the feet of his followers. Even Judas, the man who was about to betray him, a man he would consider a friend, and Jesus washes their feet. Jesus says, believe in me. He shows us God, not as an angry tyrant or a distant deity, but a father filled with compassion. A king who chooses to serve. God who enters into the pain of humanity and offers hope. Right at the beginning of, of John's gospel in John 1.18, John introduces us to this message. He says, no one has ever seen God. 
but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. And this is, this is who Jesus shows God to be. Don't doubt God's compassion for you. Don't doubt God's love for you. Look to the example of Jesus. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Look who I have revealed God to be for you. He goes on to say these incredibly comforting words, in my Father's house. As a child, some of my fondest memories are of staying at my grandparents' house. Uh, they lived in Aberystwyth. It was a, a wonderful house. I actually got a picture of it. I was looking at it on Rightmove from when they sold it. Uh, and the strange thing is you look at the pictures inside, and, and the thing I loved about going there is it was, it was unchanged for over 30 years. Like I'd step through those doors, and I could be five years old again. I might be 35, but when I stepped through those doors, uh, I knew who I was. I was a child. Everything was the way that it had always been. The people there I knew loved me. It was, it was just like stepping back in time. Uh, and they lived in this wonderful house. It was, it, was, it was huge. It was kind of on four levels. It was all a little bit weird. There were just rooms dotted all over the place. And there would be these occasions throughout the year when, when the entirety of our family, kind of uncles, aunts, cousins, distant relations, would all descend on this house. And, and throughout the, the vast number of rooms here, we would find a place for everybody. That there was always space to squeeze somebody in. And Jesus says these incredible words that have been the source of comfort to countless millions. In my Father's house are many rooms. Church, I don't know what you think about when you think about heaven. I don't know if you think about heaven very much at all. Um, but I want to say, please stop imagining clouds and harps and things like that. Unless, you know, you're really into clouds and harps, and then think about heaven like clouds and harps. Because, you know, that's, if that's your thing, then that's a good representation. But the reality is, and, and the other thing, I often think, you know, some people who really love worship music, they're like, you know, heaven is going to be like this endless worship service. And I'm like, please, Lord, no. Like, can we just, like, you know, 10 minutes at a time and let's do something else and we'll come back to it. Again, leaning heavily on St. Augustine here, but he said, in the house of God, there is never-ending festival. The angel choir makes eternal holiday. The presence of God's face gives joy that never fails. One of Jesus' favorite ways of, of illustrating what heaven looks like was to use language of feast and of celebration. And I think that is a much, if you want to think about heaven as anything, think about a banquet table that we're invited to. I think for me, obviously, you know, I'm motivated that way. If food is involved, I feel closer to God. But, but this is the imagery that Jesus uses. It's not, it's not clouds and, and, you know, naked babies with wings and, and you know, weird stuff. But it's, it's this invitation to celebration. But when talking of heaven here, when Jesus talks about my father's house, He's saying God does not have a limited number of rooms available. He says it's not as if you roll up to heaven and there's this great big neon no vacancy sign in the window saying, sorry guys, we're full, you'll have to find somewhere else. And unfortunately, the alternative is not so wonderful. You know, you can imagine rocking up at heaven's gates and this sign is there going, heaven is full, there's no way we're letting you lot in, clear off. 
And it says Jesus is saying that he came into this world. That when Jesus came into the world, there was no room for him. Literally, he was kicked out into a cave or a stable or a shed. There was no room for Jesus. So that through him, the no vacancy sign of heaven would be permanently dismantled. Jesus looks for us to draw comfort from this truth. That heaven is now open and there is a space for us. There's wonderful words in 1 Thessalonians 4 in which the church is encouraged to, to, to lift each other up, to build each other, to encourage each other with the reminder that we don't grieve as those without hope because Jesus rose from death to life and he has given us that same confidence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul encourages the church, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. He says when we think about heaven this way, when our, when our mindset goes to who God is and what he guarantees and promises us, the way we see our troubles is changed. If you've spent any amount of time in, in, in Wales or, or kind of Devon and Cornwall or in fact much of England, you'll see these old Norman castles popping up all over the place. Do you know the ones I mean with the little mott and baileys? There's a little mound and then a, a castle pot on top of it. I've got this one here. This is from Launceston in Cornwall. And, um, you know, you climb up this little mound. Sometimes it would be a natural rise in the hill. Other times it would just be uh, an artificial hill that they'd make. You'd climb up this hill and then you have this huge kind of castle keep at the top and there would be more stairs and more climbing. And then when you get to the top, you have this incredible view. And from that particular castle there, if you look at the next one, you can see right at the top, looking over the village surrounding it. It's not like you've just got this little vantage point to see just uh, what's going on immediately beneath you, but you get this incredible view of everything that's going on. Suddenly you've got this panoramic view, this strategic vantage point. You see things from a higher perspective. And church, when we remind ourselves of this, when we look to the, the encouragement that Jesus gave us, that there is a place for you in the Father's house. We give ourselves this spiritual vantage point to see our present challenges. It doesn't, doesn't make them disappear. It doesn't make them go away. But it makes us see them differently. And what is equally as important and equally as incredible is he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, not only is there room in general, but there is room for you. And I think this, this meets some of the deepest longings within us, that the invitation from Jesus is to find true home, not in the things on earth, but in the Father's house. That there is a place for you. So when you sit down at a wedding reception and your name is on a little card so you know that is your seat. This is where your meal will be delivered. This is where you have been invited to be. This is your place. And I can remember reading this passage before and thinking it's a little bit like Jesus saying, I'm going now to get your room ready. 
Like, I've got to go, uh, you know, you've not arranged an early check-in, so I've got to go, you know, the, the sheets haven't been changed, things aren't ready, we've got to get someone to go in with the hoover and make sure it's ready. You know, I go to prepare that place because it's not quite ready yet. And I kind of read it that way and thought that was a weird thing for Jesus to say. But the truth is, no, is the preparation Jesus is talking about here is what is about to happen. That when he says, I go to prepare this place for you, Jesus isn't saying, I've got to get to heaven and kind of get it shipshaped ready for visitors. Jesus says, literally what is about to happen is the preparation that I am going to make for you. What is done on the cross and at the empty tomb is the place prepared for us. That it is the cross and the empty tomb that invites us, that brings us in, that finds a place for us in God's house. The reason we can be confident that Jesus has a place for you is because it was won through his death, his death on the cross, defeating sin, winning your salvation. And it was won at the empty tomb at the resurrection on Easter Sunday, overcoming the grave and offering eternal life. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. It wasn't just a, a general idea or a kind of an activity, but for our sake, he made him sin. That is Jesus. That is God placed Jesus in the place of our sins. Jesus who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the beginning of Hebrews 12, he says, let us run the, uh, with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? It was the place won for you and I. It says he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And he says, I am the way. There's this, there's this almost comical exchange that comes next. I don't know how often you argue with Jesus. I think some of us are kind of more argumentative by nature. And so uh, when we talk about prayer, can I just say prayer can be an argument if that's how you're wired? I think, I think sometimes that is a good way to speak to God. But Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can you tell us we know the way? To which Jesus says, well, Thomas, you do know the way. And you can almost imagine, almost in pantomime style, he's like, well, no, Jesus, we don't know the way. And Jesus goes, yes, you do know the way. And Thomas says, well, Jesus, we don't know. And you can go back and forth. And, and it's quite funny. But the reality is Jesus spent most of his time telling his disciples, hey, you think you know, but really you don't. And possibly for the first time in the Gospels, Jesus says, you think you don't know, but really you do. Jesus comes back with these incredible words. Thomas says, we don't, we don't know the way, Lord. We don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're saying. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. Jesus stands in contrast with all other ways. Other ways that you've tried, other ways that have demanded your focus, other ways that have insisted that they are the way, but ultimately leave you longing for something more. Jesus says, my way is different. 
It fits far better than the ways of this world which demand so much and offer so little. Celebrity and chasing attention and success claims that it is the way, but it always is temporary. We think that that one moment of success and praise will live forever, and yet it lasts just a moment, and we chase that high, and it is never enough. Commercialism and materialism say that ownership is the way, that the more you have, the more you'll be, the more stuff you get, the more fulfilled you will feel, but we end up chasing the high of a new purchase. But when we've got it and it's complete, there's always another thing that we need to possess. And that sense of completion slips from our reach. We think that romance and love or or lust or sex say that intimacy and physical gratification are the way. That only in the throes of a passionate love affair or in the arms of another person, in the, the dizzying heights of intimacy or fulfillment, can we really feel complete. But as if you've ever spent more than five minutes with another human being, you know relationships are hard, affections can change or grow cold, and so often life gets in the way. And many religious figures have claimed to know the way, to to have found the true way, to possess access to the way. And this is where Jesus stands alone because Jesus doesn't invite people to follow a new path or a new direction or, or, or try these steps or this method. Christianity is not just a path to walk, a list of rules or rituals to get to God. It says the way is Jesus. And, and, and that sounds confused. I think as, as Jackie was doing a great job with, with saying that to the kids, you go, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be the way? And like it, I instantly kind of revert to my more childish brain. It's like, well, you know, you've got to walk on Jesus. And like, that's the, like, is Jesus pointing? So, like, what does that mean that Jesus is the way? That Jesus is not merely, it's not just his life or his teaching or his example. That Jesus isn't pointing to something in who he is and what he does, but it is him. And so in Jesus, religion gives way to relationship. That home is not found through a new philosophy or a new set of practices, but in a person. American pastor Tim Keller said that Christianity never minimizes your troubles. Christianity says that the evil you face is very real and there is only one possible way to deal with it. He says, if you believe this truth, do you believe that Jesus Christ was God, that he died for your sins, that he died on the cross, he defeated death, that he rose triumphant over the grave, that he passed into heaven, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for you? He says, if you believe this, then there is comfort. If you don't, you're stuck. You're trapped in this life. All the happiness you'll ever know has to be found here And now, you're trapped here. If something destroys your happiness, here you are sunk. Just think about it. Let not your heart be troubled. Let the gift of it dawn on you, and it will swallow up any darkness. 
that Jesus' invitation is not to find a new way or a new path or a new set of steps or a new set of activities, but Jesus says, find comfort, find home, find purpose, find hope in me, in relationship with him, in intimacy of, of knowledge and of understanding and of communion and of experience. That the earliest Christians were often referred to as followers of the way. And so much of what we're looking to do with the, the Practicing the Way series is, is, is stop thinking about just what we do to be Christians, but how we follow Jesus. That these practices aren't just a set of rituals or routines that we engage with, but they are emulating the life of Jesus and drawing close to him, to his person. Not to the idea of him, not to the thought of him, not to the, the activities that he did, but coming close into relationship with him. Church, can I invite you to stand? We're going we're gonna to respond in worship in just a moment, but I want to pray for us. Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, I've, I've come to represent, I've, I've come to demonstrate who God really is. That he came with compassion, he came with love, he came to serve and not be served. And this morning, the invitation for, for each one of us is to find our home with him. That all those other things that we would, we would put our trust in, that we would put our faith or belief in to give us completion or purpose or, or value or hope. Jesus says, believe in me. He says, I am the way. Jesus says, if you want to find the way home, I am the way. If you're looking for truth, I don't merely point to truth. I am truth. And if we're looking for life, if we're looking to find that fulfillment, not just that hope and expectation of, of heaven at some point in the future, but that heaven come down to earth that Jesus instructed his disciples to pray on earth as it is in heaven. The one who said he came to bring life in all its abundance. He says, I am the life. And Jesus, I, I thank you that that invitation is for each one of us this morning. No matter where we are, no matter how troubled we may feel, no matter how far from you we may be. The invitation is to come to believe and to find home, to find comfort, to find a place prepared for you in the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father God, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would know that truth. We would know that way we would know that life Amen. thanks so much for listening if you want to find out more about us please visit our website capcitycardiff.org.uk